Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. There's a pretty exciting new drug for dogs with arthritis. You know how often I've talked to all of you about your dogs as they get older, moving le- moving slowly, moving with lameness, having trouble getting up and down stairs, having trouble getting up from lying down. And I urge you all to try various kinds of supplements that you can talk to your vet about. But there's now the first ever once-monthly injectable treatment to control canine osteoarthritis pain. It's a really big deal. Zoetis has, has created this drug, and we have with us Dr. Sharon Campbell, who has a lot of letters after her name, which always impresses me, DVM. M-S-D-A-C-V-I-M. She's the medical affairs lead for the canine chronic pain, I guess, group at Zoetis. Dr. Sharon, it is such a delight to have you here. And you wear a a big mantle, I should say, or a crown because canine chronic pain is definitely affects almost every single older dog, doesn't it? Uh, Pretty much. You know, we know that 40% of dogs, regardless of age, breed, or size, are affected by osteoarthritis, but we do see the percentage of dogs as they get older fall into that bracket of having osteoarthritis. So, but generally it's, it's, we just say 40%, nearly 40% of dogs have osteoarthritis. That's pretty shocking. I mean, I didn't realize, I thought it, it came as you were senior. I know that both dogs and cats, as they age, just like humans, become, their joints become arthritic, but you're saying that even younger dogs can have osteoarthritis. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's because of the causes of osteoarthritis. So osteoarthritis is typically secondary to something, right? Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So um, things that we think about is like the obvious one is trauma, right? If they yes. injure a joint, then that sets them up to develop osteoarthritis. But other things are confirmation. So certain breeds have, um, you know, malaligned joints or they have um, issues with confirmation so that they're going to be more likely to develop hips. So you think about um, German shepherds in hip yes. dysplasia. Yes. Um, or you think about um, some of the larger breed dogs and having elbow dysplasia. So, and that can start at a very early age. That that conformational change um, can just start to affect the joints, and then those dogs will go on to develop osteoarthritis unless something is done. So, with hip dysplasia, you can do surgery. Um, you know, with with other types of issues, you can do. Um, you know, medications, but basically uh, any breed, like I said before, any breed, any age, um, and any size dog can be affected by osteoarthritis. That's very disturbing. I mean, I know there's lots of small poodles, even miniature poodles, toy poodles, that have patella problems with their knees. Is that considered maybe something which then triggers osteoarthritis because their knee joints are that, yes, popping out, that, so to speak? Yep. Yeah, that we call that um, uh, uh, patella luxation. Yes, and that can definitely lead to osteoarthritis because it's sort of like the patella popping in and out yes. of its little groove there. Yes, um, all of that friction back and forth can lead to eventually over time causing osteoarthritis. And then you have those other little dogs, those what we call chondrodysplastic dogs. So you think about the Lhasa Apsos, the Shih Tzus, where they're sort of, um, they have those little short, um, short joints and legs, not short legs, um, and they, um, they kind of are formed um, a little bit differently, uh, and that predisposes those dogs to developing osteoarthritis too. So we don't want to speak negatively about any purebred dog, but we do want to talk about breeding that has led dogs to having these problems, which are man-made in the fact that certain aspects of dogs, certain aspects of their look or their movement have right. encouraged good breeders, responsible breeders, breeders who win at dog shows to right. breed, for example, the American German Shepherd dog, the way it moves is to the mind of some of us, very unnatural and entirely unlike the German shepherds being bred in other countries. But I wasn't aware of the Lhasas and the Shih Tzus and maybe even Havanese, I don't know. I didn't understand that, that, is it a crookedness in their legs, Dr. Sharon? I know you're not a specialist in breeding, but you do know no. the kind of problems that lead to osteoarthritis. Is it, is it a crookedness in their legs? No, it's just um, how the how the legs, you know. So what makes them cute is that they're little and sh uh, they're little and small, and they have yes. short legs. Yes. Right. And so and so what makes them cute sets them up sets I them see. up for osteoarthritis. So yeah. It's just sort of how their joints or their bones are made, how their joints are, how their legs are put together. Yes. Um, which we find charming and cute, uh, but unfortunately, that does lead them to develop osteoarthritis and, and can do so at an early age. So that's important to know because they're very popular breeds and their cuteness is part of what makes them so popular. But mm -hmm. I would guess that if we give the fact that there are things that set your dog up for osteoarthritis and then that definitely means pain, should people with at-risk breeds be talking to a vet about getting 
the injectable labrella younger as does it only deal with the pain or does it actually inhibit the the increase in the amount of arthritis in those joints yeah so it's not so um what you're talking about so it does definitely address the pain and that's because the target of the drug which is nerve growth factor is very much a driver of pain um, in dogs with osteoarthritis and we actually know that dogs with osteoarthritis have increased levels of NGF in their joints compared to dogs that don't have osteoarthritis. So that is definitely it's me- how it works, its mechanism of action, if you will. Um, but it is not what we would ca- consider to be a disease-modifying um, right. uh, osteoarthritic agents, um, and uh, it, it does not do that. Um, and there are there are actually no drugs approved um, to do that. Um, and that is sort of like when you look at developing drugs for osteoarthritis, that's sort of the holy grail. That's what yes. you're looking for. Yes. Um, and it's a very elusive holy grail. I because believe people it. Have been, yeah, people have been trying to find that for years in all species, not just dogs and cats, but humans and horses and all, all um, species that have osteoarthritis. Uh, and it is a little, a little bit elusive um, trying to find that for but sure. That's, but that's well well explained that it is, I love when you say holy grail, there are some things that if you could knock that ball out of the park, not only would you um, relieve an incredible amount of suffering and, you know, secondary suffering after the first suffering, but you'd right. obviously have, have grabbed the golden brass ring too, because you yeah. would be at the top of the, of the medical pile. Zoetis in in 2022, so just very recently, launched Silencia for cats. So I'm very interested that you launched your cat nerve growth factor inhibitor before the dog one. What There must have been some logic for that, and I'm thrilled because so many kitties have arthritis that people don't even consider that that's why the cat has become less mobile. And once that can be addressed, the cat can jump more and play more and run more and not be sitting around in quiet pain. So why cats first? So um, cats first, well, actually, if you look across the globe, actually, um, there are different timings for the um, um, labrella and silencia. So in Europe, a labrella was actually approved first and then silencia second. Oh. It's just with the FDA approval process. Um, both of these drugs were submitted for review to the FDA around the same time. Uh, Silencia, I believe, went in a little bit earlier. And so um, based on the approval process, um, Silencia came out first, which was great because, like you say, there's so few drugs that are available now specifically for cats that um, it's it's a, a wonderful thing, if you will, to have something specifically for cat osteoarthritis. So uh, let's say I have my 8-year-old kitty who's fairly healthy, but we hope going in for a yearly vet exam, although we know that that's torture on some level for the cats. If you have a, if you have a fear-free practitioner and maybe a feline specialist practice and you've gotten your cat used to the carrier and you've used some kind of a pheromone, so it's not that bad if you can do all those things. If I bring that cat into the vet, do I as an owner bring up Silencia or does every vet know about it and can't wait to offer it? Where is that for Zoetis? Is it like we need to inform the consumer or or do we need to just encourage the vets to offer it? It sounds like a wonderful, like it's one of those kooky things where it can't hurt. If the cat might be, you know, like really slowing down, can't hurt to take away what is probably pain. 
Yeah, so that's a big question. So we maybe unpack that a little bit. So first of all, um, it's it's great that pet owners become aware of osteoarthritis, both in their dogs and cats. It's a very similar story for both species. Unfortunately, the signs of osteoarthritis can be not really dramatic. So people think that if a dog or cat is limping, that means osteoarthritis. But actually, the signs are much more subtle than that. For a cat, it can be um, having difficulty jumping up or jumping down. Correct. So it could be a situation where they used to jump up on the counter and now they need to jump up on the stool to yes. jump up on the counter. They yes. need like a little bit of a, um, a stepwise way to get there. Or it could be something um, as such as um, the cat used to play and used to, you know, if you had like a laser pointer or whatever and the cat used to chase it around and now the cat just sort of sits exactly. and plays and bats at it. Um, for dogs, the signs are kind of similar. Um, They have trouble going up and down stairs, as cats do, um, and they have trouble jumping in and out of the car. Um, But with dogs, because you can walk with dogs, dogs will actually maybe just be reluctant to go for a walk, or um, they may just, um, like, slow down on the walk. Um, So those are the signs that are very subtle, and oftentimes those just sort of get put into a bucket of, oh, they're just getting old. Exactly, which uh, I, I've often talked about on the show. Just getting mm-hmm. older is, is no excuse where people say, well, my joints hurt too. Yeah, okay, but these great pharmaceutical companies have come up with something for your dog and, and your cat. So it's really not about you, fella, you know? It's about like, what could mm-hmm. you offer your dog or cat that yeah. might mitigate that pain? The fact that it's once a month is kind of amazing. We we used to use Adequan for horses, and I used it on one of my dogs, and that could either be intramuscular or, in the case of horses, into the joint itself. But this once a monthly is just in in the muscle, right? No, this goes underneath the skin. So we call oh. what we call subcutaneous. It goes in oh, underneath nice. the skin, much like you would give a vaccination. Right. Uh, and so the same, same what we call route of administration as a vaccination, right underneath the skin. Uh, and so it is uh, much simpler than trying to get it into a joint or even into a muscle. That's right. And it doesn't hurt as much afterwards if there's any amount of pain, which is kind of minimal. So if I have a 10-year-old Weimaraner, I have an 8 and a 10-year-old, the, the 10-year-old has so many problems with, with bulging discs and had both of her back knees, had ACL repairs, and she's either at the acupuncturist and laser one week and then the next week at the chiropractor and takes a ton of supplements, um, joint supplements, as well as pain medications. Is, is it too late for her? No, we've actually seen that um, dogs of any degree of severity will respond to labrella. Um, and in fact, in um, Europe, uh, where it has been u- being used for two years now, um, over two years, um, we have actually gone in to um, ask uh, different um, veterinarians to fill out a survey of how they're actually using labrella in their dogs. And we asked them to a bunch of different questions. Right. So one of the questions was, um, for these dogs that's using labrella, and what is the degree of severity? And we find that it's probably it's about um, kind of you know uh, more or less equally distributed between dogs that have severe osteoarthritis, um, dogs that have moderate, and dogs that have mild um, osteoarthritis. So pretty well um, spread across all three different categories of severity. So, you know, for the older dog that has uh, more severe osteoarthritis, 
We have had results that it works. Um, sometimes it works on its own, and sometimes um, you still need to do other things like continue with a rehab, oh, yeah. making sure that the dog's at optimal weight. Yep. Um, and then for dogs that get treated at a mild uh, uh, degree of severity, what we're hoping is that, and we've seen this with some other drugs, but labella is a little too early um, in its uh, use to be able to tell this, but we're hoping we know this in people and in dogs that the sooner that you treat osteoarthritis, right. the more likely you are to slow that progression. We can't stop the progression, but we what our aim is is to slow that progression. So as you said, it's not a treatment uh, in terms of stopping the disease, but it could slow the disease, which would be hugely valuable. In the time we have left, Dr. Campbell, just to be selfish on the behalf of the human race, is there a way to to do One Health? And is is there? I know that Zoetis is animal based, but there must be human arthritis specialists and rheumatoid arthritis specialists dying to see if there's some way that this nerve growth factor drug that you've developed could work on people. Is that viable? Possible? Um, there was a program um, looking at nerve growth factor in people, but um, there was um, some safety issues with it that were totally unique to people. We oh. don't see the same problem in dogs and cats. And so that program looking specifically NGF was terminated, but there are other targets um, that um, have been, uh, that are good targets for osteoarthritis in people. And you see like um, different types of um, uh, monoclonal antibodies that are used for rheumatoid arthritis right. or um psoriatic type of arthritis. And so um, there are lots of monoclonal antibodies out there for use in people depending upon the specific type of osteoarthritis that they have. Well, that's good to know that where where you're looking, monoclonal antibodies, is where the human pharmaceutical companies are looking as well. And I'm, it's too bad that what you created already wouldn't work for people. But it's really quite extraordinary to have it for dogs and cats. I really am thrilled about that because it's so hard for cat owners to recognize the signs of arthritis slash pain in their cats. And the whole idea they're just slowing down because they're old is no explanation at all. How many injections or how many months do you recommend people trying it for? We only have just a little tiny bit of time left, but I mean, is it sure. one injection and within X number of weeks you should see a difference or, or what's your goal for for people? Yeah, so in our clinical studies, what we saw is that um, that what we call our efficacy endpoint where the um, there was a significant um, number of dogs that showed an improvement over the placebo control dogs um, was seen after the second injection. Okay, but good. And so that's sort of like your maximum or your, um, like not necessarily your maximum effect, but where the real obvious effect is. But what we've heard from people and what we've seen in Europe is that dogs can actually respond to treatment within the first seven days after the first injection. And then with each injection, um, uh, you can see more and more improvement. And then it usually levels up, uh, levels out somewhere between the fourth and sixth injection where the dogs are going to be as good as they're going to get. Um, but then they maintain that level of 
in, you know, reduction of pain, uh, increase in mobility, and increase quality of life. It's great. We've run out of time, but I'm telling you seriously, I'm getting on the phone to my own vet right now. I'm trying Labrella, and I will tell people what happens. If it doesn't really help Maisie, at least I tried, and I encourage other people to do the same. Dr. Sharon Campbell, this is really an extraordinary breakthrough, and I personally am going to jump right on the bandwagon. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, just one word of caution is that we don't have it quite available in the U.S. right now. It's approved, but we won't have supply to your veterinarian until um, later this year. So you can certainly I'll talk to your veterinarian. List. I'll get on the get waiting, on the waiting list. list. Okay. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Congratulations Perfect. on this breakthrough. Thank you so much for All being right. here. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.